You're listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast series. Inside ARU, Philosophy and Work with Keith Schock. Welcome, Keith Schock. Hi, Keith. I see you're here. Hey there. And uh, Ankar, I was hoping, um, I, I always like pairing the kind of uh, the interviewer with somebody who's not in their space. So instead of handing Keith off primarily to the entrepreneur Tal, um, let's hand him off to the philosopher Ankar, but I think all of us will be um, chiming in as we go through the conversation. So Keith, we're going to go for about an hour and um, probably try to take some questions directly from the class, but they've all submitted their questions to us and we'll be taking those into account as we um, talk to you. So uh, welcome, Keith. Ankar, go ahead and take it away. Great. And thanks, Keith, for joining us and taking the time. Everybody really appreciates it. You're welcome. I, it, it'll be fun. So yeah, oh, I hope so. Grab, hold on. I just set my drink across the room. Let me okay. grab it so that I have it on your pie. There we go. Okay. All right. Take it away. So people have listened to your conversation with Gina Gorlin and your 20 minute talk. I forget, that was at a Strive conference, I think a few years ago. So they have some context about who you are. So I'm just going to plunge in. And I have three categories of things that I want to bring up. And I, I think they flow out of those two, that conversation and that talk. So one about thinking about interest, what interests you, like what interests someone and finding work that really interests you. One of the, I think the first point of the three points you made in the talk is treat your own interest as sacred. So I want to talk a little bit about that. The second is and th this, so that issue has come up a lot in the class about, about thinking of what one's actually interested and passionate about and finding work in that, um, in that vein. Two, and this has also been an issue that's come up a lot of thinking about ambition and goal setting and how to set or how to think about ambitious but realistic goals. And then I'll bring up some specifics in regard to that. And then the third category I have is entrepreneurship and thinking about product market fit and some issues in that vein. So the, those are the three categories. And I want to start with um, the issue of interest. And sure. in your talk, you talked, well, one of the things you talked about in regard to interest is that you had a period of time where you had to reconnect with what really interested you that you felt sort of divorced or alienated from it. And you had a process of go, like going back and reading, like spending a day reading magazines that you used to read um, for kind of when you, when it was on, when you were on your own time, books, video game, um, and that that led you to an idea that what you're interested in is new science and technology and conveying that to people. But I had this question and a, a few people had this question of, of so, so one, can you talk about that process in a little more detail? I mean, you had 20 minutes in the talk of going from think of kind of reconnecting with your interest to thinking more in a general way, but also from a kind of work perspective of th this is the kind of work that I think I'm interested in that I want to do um, so, so a little more about what that process involved. Um, so, I mean, let me caveat all this with, with you know, I, I mean, that, so that particular talk, it's good for, for, for me to hear you summarize it briefly because it activates the context. That was many years ago that I gave it. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the, you know, I think there's one key new insight that I've had since I gave that, which which is worth almost throwing out as a caveat. Um, I mean, I think as the years have gone by, more and more I appreciate how different people's inner state is or, or their inner experience of, of things are. And so for me in particular, I don't experience emotions as intensely as friends of mine do that I know. And I've been in many situations in which something stressful happens or something exciting happened or, or, and I will, and I can describe my own inner state as like, 
yeah, yeah, no, that was so stressful. You know, whereas whereas that I might be working with a colleague who experiences that with real intensity. You know, you know, and some people joke high highs and high lows, and I'm kind of more even keel. That might be the, the casual way people talk about it. Um, and I say all that because my experience of being really in touch with with what I am into, uh, you know, an interest that I have or a passion that I have. I described it as as kind of a quiet voice. Like there's the voice of what do my parents want me to do? There's the voice of what's prestigious and will be admired by people that I admire, friends and colleagues and society at large. And there's, I don't know, the voice of these expectations I have for myself, of a vision I've set early in my, I'm gonna be a XYZ someday. And I have to be, like those voices feel, for me personally felt really loud. And the voice of like, but this is just fun. It could could feel quieter than those voices, and um, and so I just think it, it for for me personally, it took a very. Uh, there was a time in my life where I was hearing those other voices a lot, and and had been ignoring for a while. What did I just have fun doing when nothing, when money didn't matter, or what other people thought didn't matter, or what what did I really enjoy? Um, I had ignored that for a while. I felt out of necessity because of a particular phase I was in my life and then felt like I had lost touch with it. Um, so I, so it might not be experienced that way for other people. I, I have friends who, whom I have since heard, they're like, I always know what I like and what I don't like. It's so loud and I feel terrible when I did it. And that, that wasn't my experience of it. So, you know, maybe I'm on, I'm on a certain level of the repressor scale or something. I don't know. You know? Um, so anyway, that was a, I don't know. Uh, let me stop there because I've lost the thread of your original question, Ankar, but I felt that was one piece of it. Yeah, I think that's important to note. It, it, so the question was about going from, okay, there's some specific things that you're reconnecting with to getting a more a, a kind of a vision for this is work that I want to do. And this is a kind of path that I can see myself taking of of like what were the steps involved in that um i i really you know i hold this premise that very explicitly that th there is the th any combination of interests you have there is a career out there that that could contain that those combination of interests so if you liked cooking and you like sailing you could be a, a, a chef on a yacht, you know, private or, or big or what, and, and almost, you know, almost spin the, spin the dial of like, it would be awesome if I could have, have a job that involved A and B and C and D, oh my gosh, but that job probably doesn't exist out there. Um, you know, I think that's the starting point for most people, because we grow up in a world where the, the, the list of careers available to you is, is at best the course catalog, you know, available at college and it lists all the majors and each of those pairs to one career out there. And I think at, once you get out in the quote real world, the, 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 there's infinite variety and there's infinite, um, um, yeah. And, and so I think being a fully appreciating that there is such a wide range of ways that you can pursue a kind of bucketed career like writer or a philosopher or entrepreneur. I mean, there, there's so many variations of that. It should, I think, motivate you to be really picky. Like, okay, well, I think this is the main thrust, but gosh, I like this particular flavor of it. And only when it involves collaborating with another person versus doing it solo and, and sort of getting, starting to be really particular about that. And I think the best way to be particular is, is to immerse yourself in it. So, um, you know, it, whatever it is you think you like doing, just start doing it for free on the side for fun and start to understand, you know, what are the cases that it started to feel stressful and you weren't having fun with it? And what are the cases that, that it, you were, you know, you were in the flow and lost track of time and the whole day went by and you can't believe you have to go to bed now. You know, the, the sort of being aware of that, the difference in emotional state as you start to tweak the different parameters because they are infinitely tweakable. Um, and so I think kind of that vision for step one is, you know, figuring out what are you interested in? And then step two is like immersing yourself in, in it to the point that you start to get a really clear picture of like, gosh, if I could get paid to do this precise set of circumstances, that would be awesome. And now you have a fighting chance of creating it or finding it. Yeah, it, part of in the talk, which which it, it 
is in this theme. You, I think you described it as you sort of reversed engineered it. You had an idea like this, I want these components in a job. It's not clear that that exists, but let me reverse engineer it. Like what, and can you, we had a couple of questions about, again, that process of like, what does it involve or what did it involve for you of reverse engineering it? And in this, of not just taking what's on, like being offered, but of being more active in terms of like this, is be more picky as you just put it yeah let's let, let, let me try and answer that with a specific example so is there anyone who personally feels like gosh i don't know how to reverse engineer it and then give me just a little bit to go on of, of kind of what your interest is because then i can generalize from there i'll give you a, a half answer so you know i recently a friend of mine's son just graduated with the cs degree and, you know, I got an email like, oh, he's looking for a programmer job. Be like, do you have any openings or do you know anyone who does? You know, that's kind of a classic, like this person has gotten to the point that they want to be a programmer. And, you know, I had to push back and I'm like, there's 50 people I can think of who are hiring programmers. Like, what kind of programming? What kind of company? Like, does he like small teams or does he like big teams? Does he like games or does he like software utilities? Like, the they're... The more picky, you know, my pushback to, I was on the email thread with this kid's dad and the kid. And I was like, the more picky you can be, the better I can refer you to someone. And the more likely that that person's going to be interested in you because you're not just interested in, oh, wait, you're hiring programmers. I want a programming job. If this is like a match made in heaven, you know, that's the naive view of it. You know, like you, you want to work on video games, like, a video game company wants to hire programmers who are passionate about playing video games and have played them all their lives and have lots of opinions about what makes a good game and not a good game and particular style of game and, and all that stuff. So that was just a small example of reverse engineering the role is like, here I came across someone who just wanted to be a programmer and I had to, it was like pulling teeth to get any specifics out of him in terms of like what kind of industry or anything that, um, that, that they might want. Um, yeah, yeah, you want to hire someone to be hired. So um, that's an example, uh, you know, and so what could that person have done to to get more specific? Like, it's it's this weird combination of like, well, start doing programming. Like, what kinds of projects did you most enjoy? Hopefully you've done some programming outside of class projects where it was prescribed for you because the more situations in which you have to make lots of little decisions about what project you're going to work on, the more you learn about which of those decisions you regret and which which of them you liked in the in the course of crafting the project. And hopefully outside of when this person was programming, just like all the other interests they have, the more they can start to marry those. Like when I meet a programmer who's like, I want when I meet someone who's like, I want to learn how to program. You know, do you have any advice for, for how to learn how to program? My number one piece of advice is, well, what's something you want to build? Like what's a, what's a piece of software you wish existed in the world that doesn't exist? Because if you build something you're excited to build that solves a problem for you, then you'll approach learning how to program in a totally different way than if you're going through a, you know, how to program 101 course and, and kind of following the steps. So I think those are two examples of like pushing an interest towards the specific concretes of what excites you about it. Can I ask a quick follow-up to that, Ankar? Yeah, yeah um, So Keith, you know, you put it as kind of like be more picky. and. Uh, I've noticed that quality about you. Like you definitely like in every sphere of your life seem to have like really strong. Yeah. I like that. That's annoying. Like I don't like, and I've tried to like cultivate that in myself just based on like seeing that in you. Cause you're just able to craft much more of your life to your likings. Do you, do you see that as something you, was that something you had to cultivate or is it something that you think like can be cultivated? Um, and, and how would one think about that? Cause I know a lot of people are just like, yeah, they're kind of more or less indifferent to most things and therefore they don't bring a lot to the table when they ask themselves yeah what do i care about what do i what I kind mean, of my, my, my thesis is to the extent you're indifferent it might be i won't say probably even but it might be because your opinion hasn't mattered a lot and so you you just haven't made lots of decisions on that and if you start making more you know i don't know like I, I do i prefer this or that let me try them both and then and then introspect yeah that that one was a little more fun hmm, i wonder why why did i like that one more let me do it again what do i like about this again oh yeah yeah i think what i like about it is the pace at which it unfolds like this project felt slower and that so i think it's a 
you know, someone can learn to appreciate wine. You know, at first all wine tastes the same and then you have, you try more of it and, and with, a, with someone pointing things out about it. And, you know, there's some limit to how good you'll ever be at, at appreciating wine because of some, I don't know, genetic differences in your palate. But I think there's a certain amount that anyone can go from all wine tastes the same to, oh, I can tell the differences and I like this one the best for me. So I think a lot of my experience is so many things in life can follow that course where you start off with kind of a course or follow that path. You start off with a course. This is what I like. And then the more you immerse yourself in it and reflect on it, you can start to refine the, um, that, that preference. And, and I, I have a follow-up on the follow-up, if, if I might, Kate. <laughs> Good to see you. Um, you just saying passing something really profound, I think. Uh, can you say more about, because I talk to a lot of young people who just say, I just don't know what I want and I don't know what I like. And it seems that you have this intrinsic um, introspective mind that, that just asks those questions. Even the way you ask those questions is very um, you know, inspiring to some people and they don't experience that self-questioning. So can you say more about uh, this idea that if you don't, you, know, you don't ask yourself those things, maybe your opinion didn't matter. Can you say more about that? And what what would you say to someone that just says, I just don't know what I like and the, the things I like, I, I don't really think they're important. And then they, they're having a hard time really starting that process of self-motivation and self-driving themselves. Well, that, so it's, it's notable. There were two very different statements there. I don't know what I like and yes. what I like doesn't seem important. Exactly. You yes. know, that like if someone actually said that, I don't know if you're making this up or channeling a real person, like, that second piece is probably a really big clue. Like maybe they do have some sense of what they want, but they've been convinced it's unimportant and therefore they don't value that preference in that particular regard. Yeah. Um, I mean, if someone really didn't know what they want at all, like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I picked this major because of X, Y, Z and I've spent four years doing it, but I don't even really like it. Like I would just be like, stop all of life. And, and I don't know, spend two months with no agenda and and find some inner voice of preference here or there, like I don't. It's hard for me to even project being that lost. It's much easier for me to project project being like, oh, I like programming, but I have no idea what kind of programming. Like that's a little bit. Um, I don't know. Is there anyone on the call here who feels like not? Like they're not sure what they want, or they know at the level of I like programming, but not any more specific than that. Or does everyone feel like they totally know what they want and they're just like this, they got it all figured out? I mean, yeah. I, I felt like I had too many interests for a time too. It didn't make me then feel lost because of it. I just felt kind of torn. I'm like, oh, but I like this and this and this and I only get to pick one. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe paralyzed. I might have felt paralyzed at moments in time, but you know, lost to me feels like a slightly different mental state of of no direction is available to me instead of oh, too many interesting directions are available. There's one interesting consideration which may apply to your case or maybe more general. Um, you know, whenever there are multiple options available, it's very often the case that sort of in addition to, you know, so, so, so you have a vision, you have some degree of clarity on two different options, and you have a certain amount of information about those, you know, and it diff differs slightly. There's a couple other variables that are, that are interesting to consider. One is there's a certain amount of prestige assigned to, to, to different directions, just by and large by other people. Um, and there's this one writer, an entrepreneur, Paul Graham, and he makes a really interesting um, comment. He says, in any time there are two options available to you and you seem equally interested in both, roughly the same interested in both, and one of them is more prestigious than another, pick the less prestigious one because you are invariab invariably ascribing some extra bonus points to the one that society at large values more highly um, and you probably like the other one more <laughs> because you know it's not getting those, those extra bonus points. Um, I think there's a similar, th there's another sort of variation of this that 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 I've held, which is you know sometimes I'm interested in something and I don't have a lot of detail about it, and I feel and there's another one that I feel like I understand pretty well, um, 
usually when I think I like something and there's not a lot of detail about it, very often, once I finally get in the weeds on that, it often isn't as interesting as it seemed on the surface. You know, this is the kind of the grass is greener on the other side syndrome might be the way some people put it. You know, I once knew someone who really wanted to be a, you know, doctor or nurse, some medical profession, because they liked watching those kind of shows on television. So, so the sort of the desire for that professional career path was really informed by this sort of fantasy of how it's depicted on television. And, you know, they, they, they I knew the person well enough to think that they probably would not like that career path at all because they, they, they didn't like it for the right reasons. So I don't, you know, so anyway, I throw that out as like, um, the more information you can get on both, the better. Trying it is probably the number one way. But if there's one that you have more information about and seems equally interesting, like that, that's probably a good sign that you're actually more interested in that one. Now, on the second, I think everyone got or should have gotten, at least from, from what we watched, that you're ambitious that and you're focused on growth. You expect growth both the sort of what uh, for what you're working on and in yourself. And we've had, as I say, we've had, this has been a recurring kind of issue, I think, of how to think about ambition and not settling for things and not taking a too easy path, but also not setting oneself up. Like this goal is way beyond my current reach and being in this, I mean, you can put it too ambitious, but and, and that it, it's you're sort of you're setting yourself up for failure. So it's settling for something that's too easy, too comfortable versus having unrealistic expectation that if I pushed myself more and was a little more ambitious, I'd be able to do X. And part of in the conversation with Gina, it sounds like there's a real trajectory just in your kind of work life of a kind of a growing scale and what you're currently working on it sounds like part of the way you're thinking about it is explicitly it's at a larger scale than what I've been trying to do that poses new challenges I have to think both about like what's similar to what I've been doing but what's new and not expected all to be like what it was before so so that is like how do you think about that issue and I'm putting it into sort of the category of ambition yeah. goals. I, I mean, it's funny. I don't, I don't think that I think about this issue as a distinct issue. To me, this is this just follows from, um, well, what do I want to do, and and how do I make sure that I keep having fun doing it? So you know, within I don't know, within education or child development, like there's this one concept, zone of proximal development, and you know, one of the things teachers are taught is when you're educating a child, like you should make something not too, if, if it's too easy, then the child gets bored and gets disengaged. But if it's too hard, then they can feel unmotivated and they're struggling too much and, and no learning. And, and, and no learning occurs in either of those. And real learning occurs when you're, when, when you're, you're kind of, you're in the deep end, but your tippy toes can still touch the bottom, right? So this kind of zone of proximal development. And so I feel like just when I'm trying to pick projects and steer my career towards places that continue to be fun for me, if things get too easy, then I stop having fun. And if things get too hard, I stop having fun. And so I, 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 I'm just sort of following that, that guidance, you know, internal guidance. And so to me, it kind of collapses into just more, more general guidance on, oh, how do I find something that's fun? You know, one maybe side comment that's interesting. Um, you know, one common question people ask entrepreneurs of all types is, is like, oh, but how did you get comfortable taking that risk? Um, and ambition is, is another question to me that's kind of in the same category. It's like, gosh, how did you decide to do such ambitious thing? I feel like risk and ambition are from the perspective of the observer instead of from the perspective of the, of the actor. Like, I don't feel like I'm taking picking a particularly ambitious, like it probably looks on the outside, like, oh, I'm doing something more ambitious now than years ago, mm -hmm. but I'm not motivated to do something more ambitious. I'm just motivated to do something at the next level of difficulty. And the next level of difficulty for me now happens to be more advanced than what it was 10 years ago. So it looks more ambitious, but I'm just kind of certain amount that I like to stretch myself. Some friends like to stretch themselves more with each step than I do. And to me, that looks crazy. They're dropping balls left and right, but that's their fun zone. And other people like to stretch themselves less and get really, really good at something and really, really polish it. 
I get bored fast more quickly if I'm in that that realm. So I almost feel like each of us kind of has our our comfortable fun level of stretch stretchiness, and you exceed that, and it starts to be unfun, or or you fall short of that. Do you want to talk a little bit more? What do you mean by fun when you when you describe it? So and and just sort of the cultural stereotype that work is fun. I mean, we've talked a little bit about that in the course that it, no work is. Fun happens on the weekends and so on. And that, that that's a wrong view. But do you want to talk a little bit about Yeah, I mean, I love the quote, you know, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And that that, you know, plays with that that misconception. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think for for me personally, like, um, there shouldn't be a, a real divide between fun and work. I mean, there are things that I like doing for fun that wouldn't really make a career. But I would never choose a career or choose any meaningful chunk of work in my life that I didn't wasn't having fun with. And if I'm not having fun with, then it's just a problem to be solved. Like, how do I tweak this role or my involvement in it or what piece of the project I'm taking on so that I'm having fun? Um, and I mean it in a very literal sense, like fun as in I would choose to do this on a Saturday morning when I have nothing else to do because I want to have fun. Um, um, I don't know if there's more any more definition of fun I can give on that, but I feel like I don't know. Fun is like you know it when you're having it, right? <laughs> well, but uh, yeah, go ahead. To let me push back. So, are there aspects that are kind of like you're in? A, let's say you're doing a fun project, but there's aspects that are not enjoyable, like. I've just got to do this. I've got to get this done. I've got to learn the skill that's not, not that's uncomfortable to learn. Like, how do you very, experience very all little, that? Very little. I mean, I'm, my explicit sort of standing principle is like, I should be having fun doing things. And if I'm not, I should stop and figure out why. Um, and sometimes the fun comes from a perspective shift. Like, oh, hold on. Let me remind myself why this is a step in the process and and then that can make me enjoy something more. You know, there's degrees of enjoyment. Um, but but I, I think that in my own experience, there's just a lot of negative that comes from pushing through. Like, so I think long ago, I would push through a lot more often. It's like, oh, this is not fun, but just suck it up and just do it. And now I just don't like, I'm like, how else can I get, can I get someone else to do this? Can I change the project? Can I, like, there's always a variable that can be tweaked to make something more fun. Um, and, and so it's almost like a, like I hold it personally as like, I'm being a little lazy if I'm just enduring this and pushing through rather than taking a minute to figure out what I can change about it. Um, in the, I forget what, where this came up. I think it was in the conversation with Gina. You talked about both managing your attention and managing your energy in and and I think this has to be partly related to the issue yeah. of uh, yeah. yeah so do you, do you want to talk a little bit more about yeah it, it, and I mean energy energy is you know the sloppy word for maybe motivation like how excited and how and how motivated am I to engage in a task and for me it follows a lot from how how much fun I'm having but my motivation, I think, is a function of like, how much am I enjoying the task? And how excited am I about the ultimate outcome that this is driving towards? So I can enjoy a task just in and of itself. But if it feels like a pointless task, like it's not a step along on a trail to a bigger goal, then my motivation will wane quickly, even if I would have normally enjoyed that task. Um, and then, and then the reverse, like I could be really excited about a goal, but if I'm just sucking it up to, to get this step done for a week, and then I'll enjoy the next step, um, too much of that really saps my motivation. Um, but I think the other thing to say, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Does anyone have, like, I'd love more engagement from, from other people as well. Like, I'm curious if this, if this strikes anyone as controversial. Like, does this feel like, does this land for you as like, that is not how I experience things at all. Like I have a very different experience of getting things done. Mark is well, laughing. Well, well, one, I want to hear what the students have to say, Keith, but one pushback I get when I talk along these lines is, yeah, that's fine and good. You know, once you can control your career, I mean, you're an entrepreneur, Keith, right? You have 
a lot more control. Like what about, you know, I, I work at a place and people tell me what to do for the most part. Um, how do I, how do I with more limited autonomy optimize for fun? Um, get more creative. I think that's just a failure of imagination. I mean, as a, as a manager of people, um, I see all the time the difference in someone's performance when they're when they're really when when they're thriving and enjoying what they're working on and it's playing to their strengths and is at the right level of dif difficulty and and they're not having to push through it versus when someone is like yeah I'll get it done but I really don't want to do this ta task Keith and I'm just sucking it up so so I you know I, for even someone who is working for me so they're not the person you know running the company. Um, there's a lot of value to be gained if they can, like, I, I welcome someone coming to me and say, you know what, I know we're working on this, but I think the reason we're doing this is because we want to achieve X. And I was actually thinking if I did it this way instead of that way, we'd still achieve X. And I think I'd do a better job with it. I'd have more fun with it, da, da, da. Um, so I think there's just a lot more options for tweaking things than, than most people realize. Yeah, I mean, programming is, was one of the easier ones for, for me to talk about. But but one of the interesting things about programming is it's very easy to do on your own. Like if you think you're if you have an interest in a medical profession, it's hard to do that on your own. You know, I mean, you know, to some degree, you could approximate it by helping friends diagnose. You know, my wife is really good at helping friends like figure out medical conditions they have. It's kind of an odd on strength of hers, and and you know, obviously she, she she's not a doctor in any professional way. Um, but you. You just just to, to generalize this slightly, like when it comes to programming, there are so many types of things you can build. Like you can build a project for a client, like as a consulting work, or you can build something just of your own accord, of, of your own sort of vision. And those, in my experience, those feel really different. Like when the vision's coming from you versus that the spec is coming from the client, um, just the way that that my mind engages with the project has a lot of different qualities. Some people really like one more than the other. It's, you know, it's worth pivoting on, on that kind of dimension. You know, within the world of technical programming you can do, there's so many different types of, of problems like, you know, AI and machine learning to like low level systems programming to kind of user facing programming. And I know people who like, who like software that users see. But if they're writing software and the users aren't seeing the effect of what they're writing, they're really unmotivated because they are motivated by putting pixels on a screen and then having someone react to that. They get a delight out of the seeing the customer's reaction to the thing that they've built. So that's another dimension that sort of feels very different. And so it's worth just sort of like pivoting on like there's, you know, broadly in, in computer science, there is a, a computer science has lots of good mental models for problem solving. And there's a a mental model in computer science called the hill climbing problem, which is, you know, if you're blindfolded and there's a series of hills and you're on one hill, like if you take one step to the left and one step to the right, you can tell whether you climbed further up the hill or, or whether you climbed down the hill because your altitude changed. But you know nothing about the domain. So are you nearing the top of the highest hill in the domain? Or are you stuck over here on some tiny peak and there's a much bigger hill over here and you're just not even on the right hill? So, you know, that's the hill climbing problem. And in, in something like, like this, it's, you know, it's worth sort of doing lots of little pivots, like, oh, let me tweak this and let me tweak that. And it's also worth being like, let me try a totally different kind of project um, that's with a different programming language. With like, you know, if you're working on one project, almost pick another project that changes almost every dimension. It's like, this is a different language and it's client work instead of my own project and it's low level instead of user facing. And now I'll learn more you know, you're, you're kind of expanding the search space that you're considering um, more broadly. So that's another kind of lever to pull. There's always another solution. I mean, I remember I once had an apartment and I signed a one-year lease on an apartment and I had like five months left and I wanted to move out early and I went to the landlord and they're like, no, you can't move out early. It's like a big rental company. They, they didn't care. So I posted the apartment on Craigslist. This is back when people use Craigslist. And I listed it at a higher rent than my current rent. 
And I showed it to a bunch of people that came and then I found someone and I walked down to the management office with the person and I said, hey, I know you wouldn't let me out of my lease, but I found someone who's willing to rent it and they'll pay this much. Now you let me out of the lease. And by the end of the day, I was out of the lease. And then, you know, we, we turned over in a month. So it's like, like parameters are put in place based on old thinking in order to solve problems, right? So contracts and leases and, and when the circumstances change, the parameters can always change. So this person, you know, whoever runs the company, like doesn't want you to feel this particular way and, and would probably like to ramp up on someone sooner rather than later. And it's like, if you talked with the people involved and fully understood the, the constraints they're navigating within, then there's always a solution that sort of navigates the constraints. And, and that kind of comes back to Don's point too. It's like, like, I think a lot of this is going to the meta level. Like in the military, um, they have an explicit term for this. I don't know a whole lot about the military, but I had a friend who was in the Marines. And in the Marines, it's just a very old organization with lots of learning about coordinating people effectively to achieve goals. And there's a, a book that I think all Marine commanders are supposed to read. It's called Leading Marines. And one of the key takeaways in there is differentiating between, I might mess up the lingo, like the order and commander's intent. So you know, the, the commander's intent is to win the war, but the order is to like get to the top of this hill. But when you're out in the field and you're on your way to get to the top of the hill and you see an opportunity to win the war, you stop following orders and you go and win the war. And, and it's worth, you know, all. So I think I think the lesson as I understand this, you know, in the military is like it, understand where your orders are, but never lose sight of what the intention is behind those orders. And I, that applies to a lot of life. Like, yes, there's these things we agreed to. And I told someone this and I gave them my word and I signed a contract and my boss asked this of me. But there's always another level of intention behind that. And you can achieve the intention in different ways. And, and that's the like, that's the hack in life is to like understand that there's always a way to, to tweak things. The way that um, Ben Horowitz is an investor, former entrepreneur, and he, the way he puts it to entrepreneurs is, um, I forget the context, but like anytime an entrepreneur thinks there's not a move available to them, they're just not thinking hard enough. Business is not checkers. It's 3D motherfucking chess. That's, that's his quote. And, you know, and the point is just like, yeah, when you realize this is 3D chess, there's always another move you're not thinking about, or you just need to think two moves ahead. When you think of life as checkers, then you can be right. I've considered the three options available to me and none of them work. And so therefore there's no option. There's always options. Like if I feel like I'm, man, five months, this sucks. Like just don't settle and find the solution that doesn't give up on your option and doesn't make anyone un unhappy. If anything, you're going to make people more happy because you're going to find a better solution because you sucking it up for five months is never a great solution. So I think that's a good shift to the third topic of entrepreneurship and then specifically product market fit. But uh, to ask this broad question, which I think, you in effect have been talking about in the last couple of minutes, which is, so the, there's often now we put as one should try to have an entrepreneurial mindset. And so that the, like there's a career as an entrepreneur, but then there's a kind of broader phenomenon that one should be entrepreneurial. And I wonder if you want to talk like both about what, how you think about entrepreneur as a specific career. I think we described you as a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> Um, and then just more broadly, like, do you think there is such a thing as an entrepreneurial mindset that one should have, anyone should have more broadly in life? Yeah, it's, um, I, I do, I, I hear that phrase a lot too. And I mm -hmm. think I know what's meant by it because people see entrepreneurs and they generalize these sort of traits that a lot of them seem to have in common. And, you know, I think people could debate what those traits are, but it's it's probably like an ability to figure things out in, in, in ambiguous situations and a resourcefulness and, a, um, I don't know, breaking down a big project into lots of little parts and, and whatnot. Um, but I would have taken what you were just talking about and pretty going to the meta level of it's the uh, the... I think a part of the contrast of an entrepreneur versus whatever the other thing, businessmen or something, is they operate more like there's fixed lanes 
that you and like it's more like checkers it's more established and you operate within that whereas the entrepreneur that's part of the ambiguity of it is the entrepreneur doesn't think of it like that like there's other solutions that haven't been thought about yet and so on. so you can't think of it as all defined and you're playing checkers yeah I think I'd agree with that characterization. And, um, you know, it is interesting that I think I think most people probably underappreciate how much as a manager, all you want is someone to not follow what you said and stick in their lane. You want them to, you know, not just do what they're told, but achieve the goal or think or achieve a goal even higher than you said and, and whatnot. But um, but bring, come back to the main question, Ankar. So both entrepreneur as a career as a specific kind of career and then what it means to be more entrepreneurial in one's life as a, as a broader phenomenon so what do i think about those or what's my advice on yeah those? um i mean when it comes to being an entrepreneur um i think that i, I don't know the joke i heard someone say is like you don't choose to be an entrepreneur like that that career path chooses you you know, I think there's a little something to be said for that. Like, I don't feel like I wanted to be an entrepreneur. It's a hard path. I, it was a means to an end for me. You know, personally, I just like, I like building things and I like building a certain kind of thing. And if I used to say early on, if I would have found the perfect job, I would have taken it, but it didn't exist. So I did the hard work of creating it so that I could have the kind of job that I wanted to have. And I, and I felt very genuine in, in when I was saying that. Um, so you know, for a lot of people, I think if if you don't feel like you want to be an entrepreneur, then you probably don't want to be an entrepreneur. Um, and so I, it's not a career path I'd ever recommend to someone. Um, I know not, that's not a universally held view. Um, I know one person I really admire, I mentioned him before, Paul Graham. He, he's a famous investor and he runs a startup incubator program called Y Combinator. And he oftentimes tries to convince, or I've heard him write about trying to convince people that being an entrepreneur is actually a legitimate career path and you should consider it. And even if you don't even have an idea of what you want to build, you can start a business anyway and you can build things. And I have mixed feelings about that, that advice. So I'll say, you know, those are the two schools of thought. I, I do think starting a company is a commonly misunderstood career path. So there's probably a lot more people who would enjoy it than realize it. But I tr would personally try and remove the, any prestige associated with it so that it's not like it's a better career path than something else to pick. So don't feel compelled to pick it just because it might look cool on the outside or something like that, because it's not if you don't really like it. I, I think that's maybe all, all I'd have to say on entrepreneurs. I don't know. Does anyone else have a question specific to being an entrepreneur? And then I can shift gears. Is anyone thinking about it? I mean, I think of that not as an entrepreneurial characteristic. I just think of, the, of that as like being good at doing your job characteristic. Like I think that whatever you're doing, the more you can not just do the thing, but think, hold in mind why you're doing this and what the intent is and be a little more open to different ways of achieving it. Like that's just good work. Um, I do I do agree it's, a, it's often attributed to, oh, that's an entrepreneurial mindset, but um, but I don't think it's, to me, it's not, it's not the essence of being an entrepreneur and I don't, and I, I think it applies to any job that, that you could do or should do. Um, yeah. Depends on when you count on the job. Like, so when I decide I want to do something now I'm on the job. Yeah doing my homework while on the job. So, I, I mean, I, I think I would say um, maybe maybe the, there's a potential misconception in, in there or, or, or at least a premise. Um, in my experience, you can pick almost any field. And if you sort of follow your interests in the field, you're single digit months away from original thinking in that field. I don't necessarily mean in all aspects of the field, but in any field, there is lots of, you know, in any field that millions of people have spent time in, sure, there's lots that's figured out, but there's just inevitably so many holes that were left along the way and so many sort of stones left unturned or 
those things made sense at the time, but that was five years ago. And now the industry's changed since then. And so, so I think it's, it's not that hard to have some original insights in a field when you put your mind to it and focus and systematically look and you're always bringing your own unique perspective. So whatever field you think you might be interested in and you sort of dive in there, you're bringing all your background and context that no one else before you has had because of whatever original experience you've had. And that will lead you to see lots of situations differently. Now, not that different perspective isn't always valuable, but one out of 50 of those different perspectives are valuable. And, and so it's usually not that hard to, to at least like, so yeah, the short answer is, I think you can definitely ramp up on the job. And I think the reason why one might think you, you need to learn a lot first is because maybe there's not realizing how many new insights there are everywhere. And that, and that any one of those new insights could be, could be the basis of a business. Yeah, and I mean, even, even as a customer of business, like walk into any business and be a customer for, I don't know, you know, have five customer interactions with the business and tell me that you can't identify five ways that that business could be doing something better. Like, th so that's the kind of evidence that's staring us in the face that like, gosh, there's opportunities to do things better everywhere. Now, not all of those opportunities are the basis of starting a business. Some of them wouldn't be sustainable. Some of them aren't being done for a reason, which is not obvious on the outside and yada, yada, yada. But there's at least ample evidence that, gosh, things there's an opportunity for improvement everywhere. A lot of demystifying entrepreneurship is to realize that all you're doing is making something people want. You're just, people are paying you to do a service for them, or they're paying you to give them something that you've made or you've acquired through some other place. And um, there's, there's, so, so yeah, I, I, it's kind of dumb. I mean, it might be it's not seem that profound to kind of put it that simply, but I think the more you can strip it away and realize, oh, all I have to do is figure out how to offer something that people are willing to pay me for. And at the end of the day, you have to, they have to pay you more than it costs you to deliver it because otherwise you won't be able to do this for very long. But that's all you're doing is finding something you can offer people that they're, they're, they're willing to pay you. Um, most of it, and it's possible to be an entrepreneur, you know, just solo, where you're just a, a one a one person show sort sort of doing these things. As soon as you have a bigger goal beyond what you could do as kind of a freelance consultant entrepreneur, then the essence of entrepreneurship very quickly becomes coordinating the effort of multiple people in order to to offer the thing that people are willing to pay pay you money for. Um, and I, that's kind of my own personal path. Like I like building things. I was a solo entrepreneur for many, many years when I was young, growing up. And then I wanted to build things that got bigger than I could do myself in any reasonable length of time. And so then all of a sudden I needed other people. And then that, it was this forcing function for figuring out like, well, how do I hire people and manage people and coordinate people? And most of what's hard about business is people. Like people are the, are the complicated piece that it almost always gives you the headaches and the hardships and the, and the reward along the way too. Um, and, and, and so, so I, you know, my the slightly different view is kind of the essence of being an, the essence of being an entrepreneur who isn't just a solo entrepreneur, the essence of building a business beyond a consulting, a one-man show business is having a big vision of something you want to build and being good at making the hard decisions, mostly people decisions in order to get you there. And most of the other qualities that a lot of people associate with sort of being an entrepreneur, I, I've known entrepreneurs who don't have every single one of those qualities. And I generally just associate those with kind of good employees and good, good working in your job, not, not sort of specific to entrepreneur. Because the one thing that's unique about an entrepreneur is you get more control over the other people involved in the project. So you can always hire someone who's good at the thing you're not good at which could include coming up with an idea. Like you can hire people who are good at coming up with ideas or, you know, thinking outside the box or I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's the one that uh, like you do need a certain amount of being able to kind of, I don't know, even as an entrepreneur, I feel like the essence isn't even that you can think outside that straight path. It's just that you have to have conviction. There is a solution outside of that path. And even if you can't come up with it, you're one phone call away from someone of the 8 billion people in the world who does know how to get outside that path. 
And so just sort of that conviction that, oh, there's something big that I want to build and every single problem that we'll encounter is surmountable. And you have the skill of, of assembling people to, to, bring, to bring them to bear on that. I don't know, that's so abstract as, as to feels like it's not actually that useful. Um, I, well, I, I, there's a quote I heard many years ago, which I love, like being an entrepreneur is, someone who's an entrepreneur is the kind of person you could airdrop into a hostile country with just the shirt on their back and they would get out and enjoy the process of doing it. And that's, yeah, there's something true in like, so much of the essence of being an entrepreneur is making hard decisions, not hostile country type hard decisions, but mostly it's making hard decisions and liking making hard decisions. A good majority of those hard decisions involve people. Like, should I hire you or not? Should I fire you because you're not doing a good job? Should I give you one more chance and set the expectations differently or not? Um, should we stop going after this product because it's not working and dramatically change course when I, when I don't have a whole lot of evidence one way or the other? You know, lots of decisions like that. Um, and liking making decisions like that. I work with many people, most people who I hire who don't like making hard, ambiguous decisions. And what they thrive in is the clarity of being given a starting point or being given a clear goal. I won't hire people who, who can't play outside the bounds and figure out creative ways to get to that goal. But most people I hire don't have their own product idea. They wanna work on my product idea, for example. Um, and that's sort of the division of labor in all of this. We're, we're nearing the hour uh, and I don't want to keep you over. I want to respect your time. So as a last question, is if you had to pick one thing that if you knew 10 years or 15 years earlier, that it would have either made your whole, your career trajectory easier or even more fun than it is, what would you pick that something you've learned that in fact you wish you had learned 10 or 15 years ago? I think it's, it, it, you know, the most important takeaway is the same theme of life is 3D chess, not, not checkers. Um, and I think I, I had that inkling early on. Like I remember, you know, even as a child, I sort of was always questioning assumptions. Like I didn't, I didn't love school because you were supposed to do assignments just because. And when I would ask, why do I need to learn this? When am I ever going to use this? And teachers didn't have good answers to that. My motivation would go away. Um, I remember when my mom, you know, I'd want to go to Toys R Us back when Toys R Us was a thing. And like, no, I can't take you now because there's going to be traffic on the road. And I'd ask my mom, I'm like, but, but how do you know there's traffic on the road? Well, there's always traffic on the road now. But if you won't take me because there's traffic on the road now and everyone else knows there's traffic on the road now, then maybe there won't be traffic on the road. because that doesn't. And, you know, just like the, always wanting a different answer or a better answer. So I think I always kind of had the inkling that like, maybe there's another way. Maybe it doesn't have to be that way. I don't agree that there's only three options here. And I think as I've progressed in my career in my life, you know, I just, I have that conviction more and more and more and in more domains and more of an, of a hint at what the alternate solution might be or what the clue is I can give someone to, to solve that problem or what question I can ask someone to unlock. Like, what, you won't give me a discount on that? I don't want to sign a one-year contract. You know, it's like, um, well, can I talk to your manager? You know, it's like, oh, that's a good question. Then you get someone who has more authority to make decisions than the person you're talking to. So I think it's it's just that, it, and I don't, It's a, this is hard. It, you can't give someone this conviction. Like I can say to you, any situation where you feel like there isn't another option and you feel like you're stuck or you feel like your options are limited, you're wrong. There's there's always another option and there are always more, there's a wider range than you're considering. And like, I can't pass that conviction on to someone because it comes from a lot of years of my experience, but I can at least say it to you and it can ring in your head and you can hold it in the back of your mind. Maybe there's something I'm not thinking of. Maybe there's someone else I could ask. Maybe it's worth five minutes of pausing before spending all day on this when I don't really want to do it. Um, I think that's the, 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 I'd fan that flame for all of you. Thanks for listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also find us on YouTube. If you like this content, please share or leave us a review. For more information, go to aynrand.org.